Hello, everybody. Welcome tonight, and for those who are tuning in online. Um, yeah. I won't lie, I'm very nervous, so please stay with me. Um, yeah, so I think I just want to pray as well, <laughs> then we can start. Okay. So thank you, Father, that we can just gather here tonight. Lord, thank you for your word and that it is the truth and that you guide us. Father, thank you that you have created us to live in your identity and that you empower us to do life with you. Guide me through the service, Lord. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so <laughs> I have tried my best to find a few jokes on offense, but they're a bit offensive. So, <laughs> so I, I got to like dad type jokes in Afrikaans, we call them flow jokes. So let's see how good they go. So my first question is, why did Moses cross the Red Sea? To get to the other side. Okay, okay no, I know. Next one. How does the Apostle Paul make coffee? He brews it. Okay, I'm proud of you. The next one is good. So why did Samson try to avoid arguing with Delilah? He didn't want split hairs. Anyway, sorry, it was really funny to me when I prepped, so... Anyway, <laughs> so um, tonight I will be continuing the series that speaks about offense. And um, yeah, it has been really interesting because the Lord has taken me on a journey where I went home about a month ago in the beginning of June or middle June, and he actually made me deal with some offenses in preparation for tonight. So yeah, it is really relevant in where I am right now. So what the main message that I would like you guys to think about is not, you know, is being offended right or wrong, but rather to focus on the word says that we have been made alive in Christ. We have been taken from the old to the new. So my question to you guys will be tonight, are you living as an old man or a new man? So I started off because I love to Google what words mean because it's important. And basically the four things that I got that says what offense means was the following. So firstly, offense happens when you feel as if harm has been done to you. Secondly, if you then take that, it develops into humility. Ach, not humility, being humiliated. <laughs> yeah wrong one. So you, you feel attacked and harmed, and then you feel humiliated. And when we don't deal with that, that can progress into becoming angry. And if we don't deal with that, it actually causes us to sin. Because as you know, the word says that do not let the sun go down without you dealing with your anger. So the way that I've kind of... Um, simplified what offense is, is offense is when we take external experiences, whether if it is something, someone's action towards us or the way they speak towards us, and we see it as an internal attack of our identity and our self-image. So what does it look like when we respond to offense as a new creation? It means that 
we realize that our identity and self-worth is found in Jesus. So when people say hurtful things to us, we can still, um, it can still hurt us and we can still be disappointed in how they reacted, but it will never define us. Okay, so um, the three main things that I want to touch on that speaks of who we are in Christ um, will be the fact that we are chosen, we have a purpose, and we have value. So I have three questions, and you don't have to raise your hand. You can answer like inside. Who of you have ever felt abandoned? Whether if it was when you were a teenager or now, where you've been in a group of friends and you just felt completely out of place. Who of you have ever felt like you don't have purpose? Like, why am I even here? And then who of you have ever felt like you don't actually bring value to the conversation or the relationship that you're in? I definitely can agree that I've definitely felt like all three of those. So, as I will be touching on these things, I am 100% honest that I'm still struggling with this myself, and it is a, a journey for me to learn to actually live in that new man, because the Holy Spirit has convicted me, because my question was, Lord, but I've given my life to you, I've served in ministry, you know, I've done theological studies, but why do I still have thoughts of insignificance? Why do I still have thoughts of you know, what if, like, after my month in Friedenburg, what if I go back to PE and nobody, like, remembers me? You know, it sounds really ridiculous when you think of it like that, but it's how the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy in our lives because when we are not in the Word of God, we leave a space for the enemy to come and sow doubts and lies in our minds. So firstly, I want to look at a scripture that speaks that we are chosen, and it is in Ephesians, Ephesians 2 verse 10. And it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to, and being renewed for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, so that we may walk in it. So, to summarize what that basically means is that we were created by God. Whether if you have accepted Jesus or not, he created every single human being that is on this planet. But when we accept Jesus, a renewing process starts. I think the biggest lie that society tries to tell us is that once you say yes to Jesus, everything just changes and you're magically perfect. You know, we read these scriptures about we are being made holy and it sounds so great and righteous and it is but it's also really messy because to become holy, you need to die to self. And that's not like, <laughs> so, but in that renewal process, as we are chosen and we start accepting that Jesus created us for him, we get prepared for life. Because in that relationship with him, he teaches us how to deal with things, including offense in a new way, as new creations. So, secondly, I want to speak about purpose. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, For he delivered us 
and saved us and called us with a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus. So I don't know about you guys, but I tend to want to do things right. (laughs) But I've noticed the more I try, the more I've realized that I can't actually be a good Christian by myself. And it's as if the more I try to do things right, the more I realize that I've never actually been in control (laughs) of any of it. And over this past year, the Lord has started to reveal to me things in my life that are not in line with the word of God. You can call them ugly parts. So as I start walking into my purpose, one of two things happen. The one side, I can reflect back on my life and I can go, wow, I'm definitely not the same person I was five years ago. And I know that's Jesus. But on the other hand, I also see my need for him because there's so much that I still need to surrender to him. So I found that in the process of discovering my purpose, it happens when I go and I surrender those ugly parts to him. And I allow him to re like teach me of who I was actually created to be. So being called to holiness is sometimes messy. And I don't think everybody talks about it because we don't want to be negative, but it's hard. It's hard to die to self. But it is so vital because as we come to that place where we realize like we can't control everything in our lives, we learn that we need grace. And Remember, our theme is offense. So if we need grace to walk out this life of holiness, every person that's around you also needs that same grace. So, and grace comes with forgiving and letting go. Um, So yeah, and then thirdly, so we have now gone through, we are chosen, we have a purpose. And then thirdly, we have value. Our value is defined, defined by Christ. So in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. So if we need to look at this in a practical way, the word says that we have been crucified with Christ. And you know, sometimes it can sound really difficult to understand all these concepts, but if we simplify it, basically it says that when we, before we follow Jesus and we were still dead, we will react out of trying to defend ourselves. We need to earn our value in this world because society teaches us that you need to put a mark for yourself in the world because if you don't show that you're exceptional, then you actually don't matter. But when you are made alive in Christ, you realize that you are defined by God and God only. He teaches you how to walk. It's letting go of control and stress and trying to be perfect and learning to say, Lord, I don't know what to do, but I trust that you will guide me. It's living for the approval of God and God alone not being defined by people and what they say and what they feel towards you anymore, but being content and at peace when you know that 
You are walking in obedience to God and your life glorifies him. And you do it out of a place of love, not of laws and trying to like maintain life itself. So, going a bit more practical. So you might not ask, okay, cool, Mel, all of these scriptures are great, but like, how do I actually deal with it when someone offends me? Romans 5 verse 8 teaches us. So, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This means that we need to live with compassion and grace. We weren't perfect when Jesus called us to him. We rejected him. We lived in this bubble of me, myself, and I, and the way I think I should live. But he saw who he created us to be even before we started walking in that. And I truly believe that when we are in a relationship with the Lord, he can give us his eyes to see people in that way. So when we get in a place where someone is having a bad day and they're going off at you, instead of retaliating and going in our old nature that says an eye for an eye and going, well, you just swore at me, so I'm going to give you some, you can actually take a step back, breathe, and go, Lord, what's actually happening here? You can start speaking the life and the truth of God into people's lives. Sometimes that means that you might have to calm down, walk away. You're not always going to be, you know, Jesus loves you. That's not always going to be like super great (laughs) in the moment. But like, keep quiet because you know that no matter what they say, that does not define you. But being able to go back and, and say like, are you actually doing okay? Like, this is very out of character for you or whatever the Holy Spirit guides you because when we start walking and speaking the way Jesus does, healing comes, unity comes. So what if in the not ministry type works where I have worked, you instead of going with, oh, you know, everybody's just depressed and everybody is just negative all the time and going at one another, what if you actually allowed God to teach you how to start speaking life and love into those situations? What if the way you react or respond to people can actually start shifting atmospheres where you go. Okay, so what does that mean when someone is in your face and they're being super rude to you? Do you just go, grace to you? (laughs) No, that does not mean that. When we look at John 3.30, it says, he must increase and I must decrease. If we want to become like Jesus, we need to realize that the old nature is, it needs to die. So we need to learn how Jesus will react. So as I just mentioned, when we start walking in the presence of God, we can submit under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we can actually, by the way we respond, start changing people's view of themselves and how life is supposed to look like. Because if people are used to someone just like fighting with them all the time, if you respond differently, the Lord can actually work in that and make that person think like, yo, I actually deserve that hectic like retaliation, but why is this person not doing this? So 
In a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to love instead of retaliate. Okay, so using an example from our own life, it's much easier to talk about. So three years ago, this is what happened in June. I went home and um, there was a girl that I met up with who I was friend with in high school and I went to another high school and um, she came around in 2020 and I was not in a super great space in my life. I just came out of a relationship um, and she was like this one person that I connected with. So I had this expectation of cool, I'm back in a small town, which was not great, but at least I had a friend. I had someone who I can go for coffees with and you know, I had all these expectations and then she stopped replying to my messages. So I went through a whole set of emotions. If you know me, I feel very deeply. Um, so it started off with, okay, she's not replying. Okay, maybe she's busy. She's, you know. And then afterwards, I go, okay, maybe she's avoiding me. And it progressed so much because I was meditating on this thing that I eventually got to a state where I went, oh, she just didn't care. And then I like realized how hurt I actually was. But again, you see, offense doesn't just always come like this. It's not always someone just like giving you a bad mouth. So from there on, after a few months, I go, yes, but this is humiliating. Why do I keep giving people like second chances? Why do I keep loving people and allowing them to come back? But it's fine. I don't have to see her, so it's fine. So I thought it was, it was gone. Two years after that, which was last year, 2022, same thing happens. I'm going through a really hectic time and I confide in this friend and she stopped speaking to me. But this time, I didn't go through like, I didn't take that long to go through the emotions. I just, I was like, cool, you don't care about me. And I got angry and I held onto this anger. But what made it really awkward is she went to my church and there's only like five young people. So you kind of have to like, hi, how are you? Going, hmm, okay. You know? And I was like, it's fine. I'm moving to PE. I can avoid this, right? Like, I don't have to deal with this. Okay. <laughs> Move to PE, come back home. And um, the, the first girl actually approached me and apologized and she explained everything and, and that was reconciled. And because I opened up myself to forgive her, the Holy Spirit guided me and went, because this other friend, like, like old friend, I kept seeing her and he went, like who? Who gave you the right to choose who you wanna love? I'm like, I don't know, you know? Because this and this and this, like obviously they're not deserving and he goes, but Melissa, you're not someone who writes people off. Like, that's not who you are. I'm like, you're cool, but I need boundaries and blah, 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 blah. Okay. But what I learned in all of that is that I had to let go of my offenses. I had to drop the charges that I had, all the rights that I had to reject this person. And as soon as I spoke to them, this one the, the second person actually told me that she had never been vulnerable with anybody in her life. That 
she had hold on to a fence on her side and she didn't know how to deal with it because she didn't want confrontation and all these things. You know, after we actually spoke, it was so amazing because there's so much healing that took place in both of us for me to, to open up myself and say, you know what, I'm going to trust the Lord in this. And it wasn't just like, cool, I trust 100%, but it's making a choice, giving someone the benefit of the doubt because we all make mistakes. So basically what happens every time that you take offense from someone, it's like if you can get a mental picture, you're building a fence in your heart. And eventually that thing becomes so narrow that you look through people in like this little bit and you have all these conditions. But if they do this, then they don't care. If they do that, then obviously, you know, they just don't go close enough. And it causes so much division and hurt in relationships. And that was never God's intention. Because if you know the God of the Bible, he is for unity. He created us for relationships. So if it's not him doing this, who is it? It's the enemy. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want us to be one body. So to give you scriptures that we're not allowed to write people off. When we look at 1 Corinthians 12, we see 20 in, in verse 21. So just to give you a little bit of context, this is speaking about how we were all made and put into one body and that the body needs to function together. Verse 21 says that I cannot say to the hand, I've no need of you. Have you ever done that before? You know what? There's too many charges, charges against you. I don't think I need you. Verse 24 to 25 says, but God has combined the whole body, um, giving great honor to the part which lacks it. So someone, somebody who's somewhere going to mess up so that there would be no division um, in the body. That is a lack of adaptation of the parts to each other, but that the parts may have the same concern for one another. So meaning as a body, there's always going to be or sometimes may be parts that are lacking, that are going through things, but we need to work against division because it's going to cause us to have to adapt to situations. We can't control people. We can't control why they react the way they react, but we can control how we respond to them. So, and then in verse 27, it says, now you collectively are Christ's body and individually you are members of it. So what does all of that teach us? Firstly, it says that we're different. Have you ever met someone who's so different to you and it's kind of hard to get along with them? We have different functions. It's, we, we live, again, in a society that teaches us if we can't relate and if we can't agree, then obviously we just shouldn't be close to one another. But actually, we grow in community because we have to learn how to choose to love. We need to learn how to see things from different perspectives. And we have to adapt to one another. Have you ever felt like you had to adapt to someone? For those of you who have been married, yalla, it's an adaptation. <laughs> They're not the same. <laughs> but there's so much beauty that comes out of that because it helps you to realize that the world does not revolve around you. 
So when we allow offense to kind of blur our vision, it's as if our focus shifts from God and it goes onto ourselves and we are now God trying to control what is the measurements of being loved and being accepted. And often it just brings out insecurity and criticism and it just, it never ends well. So we need to refocus on God because he knows how we can live a life where we can honor people out of a place of being grounded in Jesus. So the first thing you're going to do or need to do is you need to allow God by reading his word to teach you your new identity. Because when we are shaped by our identity in Christ, we, the narratives of how we see ourselves and how we see people changes because we don't have to defend ourselves constantly anymore. Um, you need to know that people will say things that will hurt and offend you, but you don't have to allow that to define you. Secondly, you need to drop the charges. So I wanna do a little exercise that I saw online. So I hope this works. So can I ask everybody just to stand up quickly? <laughs> See if y'all are awake still. Okay, I want everybody to put both hands in the air and we're just gonna hold it there. You're not allowed to drop all the way up. Up, up, up. Okay, just gonna stand like that for a minute. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Whose arms are starting to get a little bit heavy? <laughs> okay. When I count to three, I want you to drop it. One, two, three. Don't you feel a bit relieved? <laughs> Does it feel light? That's what it feels like when you choose. You can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> That's what it feels like when you stop holding on to the things that tries to keep you captive and you learn how to let go. You open yourself up again. So through Christ, we can honor people who dishonor us. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse five, it says, love binds together all wounds. So it's easy to focus on, you know, love binds together, but it means that there are wounds. We're living in a world where not everybody chooses to love. People choose themselves and that causes hurt. So we need to learn how to love like Jesus because it brings healing. Love does not dishonor and it is not self-seeking. So when we start focusing on ourselves and trying to protect ourselves, it can actually lead to wounding people because we're choosing to love ourselves and protect ourselves above the person in front of us. It's not easily angered and it keeps no records of wrong. So clearly, there's a reason why God explains love in this way. So whenever I feel like holding on to a grudge, I can know that God's love is not operating there because that's not in his nature. We need to learn how to deny those responses under the guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we can keep unity because if we don't choose to love, it causes division in friendships, families, and in our marriages. 
So we can't control the actions of people around us, but we can control um, our, our reactions and responses to forgive people, to give them the benefit of the doubt, and to allow God to show us what he sees when he looks at them. The third one, which is quite hectic, because I'm not someone who likes confrontation, so I try to avoid it as much as I can, but Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17 says something different. So moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. So it says that if you are new, a new creation in Christ, if you say that you truly are following Jesus, it means that sometimes we're going to have to have hard conversations. And just because we're doing the right thing doesn't make it less uncomfortable. So it might be really hard. And the fact that it says that if your brother hears you, or if he hears you, you've gained a brother, that means that sometimes people are going to choose to hold on to their offenses. We can't control that. What we can control is the way we position our hearts towards people, being reminded of the grace that we needed to allow God to shape and renew us. We can reach out and extend uh, opportunity to discuss it with that person. And then we can always pray God's truth over people. It sounds hectic, but like the best type prayers is, Lord, why is this person like this? I've done this, washing dishes. Lord, you need to sort this person out. Like, what's wrong? And then he showed me, and I'm like, oh, okay, never mind, sort of. You know? Legit. It's, it's very humbling. So we need to realize that each one of us, we go through things. We're going to go through good things, and we're going to go through bad things. Life makes us vulnerable. You will be misunderstood somewhere along the line, whether if you want to know it or not. But this is exactly why we need grace. And this is why we need to extend grace to other people. The only way that you can actually learn to forgive and love is by knowing who you are in Christ. And if you know who you are in Christ, you will start seeing who Christ made other people to be. So my ending quote is, and some of you might have heard this, but this came up in my spirit. It says, a dead man can't be offended. So why this quote was so relevant for me tonight is our old man's natural default response is that it is controlled by guilt and shame. So as soon as something comes at you, you're like, oh, you know, you retaliate and, oh, you're full of guilt and you're full of shame and you go, but I didn't follow the rules. I wasn't a good Christian now. And sin infiltrates your mind and it starts controlling how you view yourself, your identity. But as you have been made alive in Christ, you are renewed. You start being controlled by God's word and promises. And the Holy Spirit will guide you and teach you who you were actually created to be. So I hope that something stuck somewhere. Um, I definitely need to learn how to spend more time with the Lord with the things that are bothering me and to help him or to ask him to help me to see people the way he created them 
so that I can learn to love better. So let's just end off in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that your word is life and it's truth and it brings hope. Lord, thank you that your word speaks of unity, of reconciliation um, and restoration in relationships, Father. I pray that you will, through your Holy Spirit, speak to each person here tonight. Lord, if there are any offenses in their hearts, if there are any hurts and pain that they've been holding on to because they're scared of being vulnerable, they're scared of trusting again, Lord, I pray that you will give them the courage to come before you, to lay it down and to choose to trust that you will guide them, that your plans for them are good, Lord, and that you will never put them to shame, that no matter what they've been through, you want them to have good and fruitful relationships, relationships that build, that speaks of hope and life, and that aligns with your word. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you never give up on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I end off, can I just say one more thing? So, um, as I was praying, which felt like hours before tonight, um, I really just felt the Holy Spirit um, prompt me to speak into three um, different situations. It might be multiple people. Um, but yeah, the first was as we were going through identity and how the enemy actually uses offense and pain to distort our view of ourselves and disables us to love people, I just heard the Lord saying that there are people here tonight that have believed the lies of the enemy that they are unworthy. And because of that, because of what people have done to you or spoken over you, you've developed trust issues. And the Lord wants to restore. He wants good and healthy relationships. And that doesn't mean necessarily always that you're going to reunite with a person, but it means that you won't be stuck in that prison of resentment and hurt anymore. The words I heard was, until you accept your Christ-given identity, offense, hurt, and shame will tell you that you're never enough. That is not the Lord's will for you to walk in that. Secondly, I saw a picture of a heart that has been stitched, probably by someone that has the same skills that I have at stitching. It wasn't great. <laughs> and I just heard the Lord saying that there's someone or people here that have been trying to stitch their own hearts together because they've been hurt and they've been through pain. But even after trying to hold it all, to, all together, you still feel like you're hanging on a threat. And this might be something that nobody else knows about. Um, so yeah. And then lastly, I want to ask, we say that we believe that Jesus can heal the sick and give sight to the blind and he can resurrect people. But then, as soon as we get in a relationship, especially in family relationships, how often can we say, oh, this person's just beyond repair? So, who needs to trust that the same God who created us for relationships can come and miraculously heal a broken relationship in their lives? I want to encourage you to be bold and to be vulnerable. If there's any place where we can come in confidence knowing that we are safe, it should be the church. 
So if you don't, come to the front. You can carry that with you. So what's the worst that can happen? You can either come and nothing can happen or you can come and relationships can be restored. You can see the Lord show up in new ways and um, I think sometimes we need a miracle in the, in the midst of hopelessness. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you so much. Eh? Well, just talking to Melissa and listening to the story, I just realized how much grace is in what you shared. So thank you for that. Very brave of you as well. Just a couple of things I wanted to highlight for us here. Um, we were sure during COVID that uh, uh, God wanted to do some special things in people's lives through the crisis the world was going through. So during COVID, you might remember, we, we felt to take a step of faith and build on top of our East Wing, the Eden Life Center, and staff it and, and uh, begin the, the journey of healing for many people. And, and we, we did that, and we, we managed to, before we started, we raised, I think, 800,000. The 2.5 million rand build, so we and we borrowed 1.7 million on a five-year loan, um, and uh, felt like uh, it, it was quite, quite doable and re repayable, and it is. Um, and we're ahead of the repayments. But I just have a, an urgency over the last uh, couple of days while I was praying, and I felt the Lord just said to you, "Are you willing to trust me for this?" I said, "Yes, I am, Lord." Uh, that we could have the balance of this paid off by Christmas. And this is the balance right here. It's 866,000 Rand. Uh, our God's able to do that, hey? And so it doesn't hang over us and uh, impede things that God's wanting to lead us into in the future. So would you join me in believing God for a miracle that this can be paid off? I'm not just talking about selling cook sisters. I'm talking about some serious faith donations that believe in the, the thing we're committing to. So I just want you to be aware of that. We, we trust in God for this to be paid off so we can move forward with other commitments that uh, he's leading us into. The other thing that's very important, Colleen and I were listening the other day to a message um, from Signal Vineyard, and um, the message was, amongst other things, was about consecration. I, I preached that last Sunday morning and uh, about consecration, and, and it ended up with the, the story of the Asbury revival that's been going on and how that's really just been a call to consecration. Um, so we've, we felt to call the church, the whole church, uh, if you're in a connect group, the Sarpsha group, or just visiting us, whatever. But we, we're calling Fountain Vineyard to come together on Wednesday night this week to listen to that message and get before God. Um, that uh, God can do whatever He wants to do amongst us. So we need a, he says, draw near, near to me and I will draw near to you. So on Wednesday night, just to highlight that, I think it has been announced, but I want to just highlight that as a, as a, a divine calling and a, an appointment that we have with the Lord. And then also just to let you know, next Sunday, um, one of the sons of this house, Ricky, Ricky Fent. How many of you remember Ricky? All right. So Ricky, um, just a, a real live wire in the kingdom. He's been up in Brussels in Belgium uh, for a couple of years now. How many, how many years, Gav? Four years? Yeah, about four years, something like that, going on five, I suppose. And uh, he, he's in town visiting, and he'll be, he'll be preaching next Sunday morning. Um, just to let you know, at the morning meeting, for those who uh, would like to gather unto Ricky again and, and uh, see what the Lord would say to us. But the evening, we, we're going to respond to um, a, felt, a felt need we experienced last Sunday morning where there were a number of people who responded to exploration of a call to lead. 
Um, and we are in a season where God's calling out new leadership. Um, and uh, so in the evening service, we're going to do a special focus on, on exploring that call to lead. What does it mean? How do we get there? How do we respond to it? And uh, what Melissa's talking about tonight is on the button for us in terms of offenses. I don't think you can get to lead unless you know how to manage offenses. Eh? How many of you have ever been offended? How many of you offended or asked you? <laughs> it's amazing in leadership how easily you cause and receive offenses. Eh? It's absolutely normal in the land of leadership. So learn to manage that, and Melissa's absolutely right on when she says that it has to do what your security and your future has to do with your identity in Christ, when you know that. Um, like John the Baptist, and she quoted John 3, which is John's uh, statement about himself, that I must decrease that he may increase. It's all about that. And that's what we are in Christian leadership. Echet? Echet's a new young leader in our city uh, with Impact Vineyard, which is in process with us. I don't know if you've all met Chet, eh? Just stand up for a moment. This is Chet, and you need to meet him, and he wears shorts because he's Afrikaans. Uh, it's great to have, have Chet and his father and the whole team with us as well. But, but if you're going to rise in leadership, you need to learn how to uh, be secure in your identity and how to, uh, your salvation will increase your ab ability to manage the, the difficult conversations that need to be had. Um, and finally, just to say, and this is where what your three points, I'm going to ask you to give them again just not during the worship. It's the same point that we process things that hold us back because those are the things that will determine whether they make us or break us and how we respond is, is the issue. We can't stop things coming at us, but we can always choose how we respond to those things. Eh? That's the issue. So how are we going to respond? Um, are we going to have a knee-jerk reaction or are we going to be responding in grace and truth? So this is so good for us to come and talk about these things. I just wanted to highlight some of those, those things that affect our community life. And welcome, if you're new amongst us or visiting amongst us, you're welcome tonight. It's great. To, and I hope you're not going to run away, but stick around, have some coffee, and get to know we're really committed to being a community church. And I want to say lastly, just as I hand over to Tase over here, Tase is one of those long-running sons in this house as well. He came to us as a, what is a 19-year-old? 19-year-old teenager from East London. Can you believe it? He was once 19. <laughs> it happens. We grow up and we lose our hair and everything. Eh? But um, the thing that I remember about Tace is um, his teachability. He came to us uh, not knowing very much and, and I guess having some kind of father wounds and things. And Colin and I took a... I'm going to tell him about that story. <laughs> Just if I can offend him here. Colleen, we had him staying in, a, in our place called Fountain House. It's a house we bought by faith back in Newton Park in those early years, uh, back in, I don't know, what, it's 19 foot sack or something. Uh, it was a house we bought, and, and Tace was there, and one or two other guys, like Grant Baker. How many remember Grant Baker? Anybody? You remember Grant? And uh, in the kitchen, uh, this was a house shared then by some of our students that are staying there, and the church office was there as well. Now, we had cupboards <coughs> that had uh, church uh, ingredients in. If you're counseling, you can take the hot chocolate from the church cupboard and share. So Grant and Tace, which take turns to counsel each other so they could drink our chocolate. Eh? <laughs> you remember that, eh? Anyway, so one day, Colleen and I were visiting in this room of Tace's. It was a mess. Eh? Tace, that room was a mess. It was, and we thought, no, man, how can we teach? We can sit down and lecture him. We can, like, you know, come down, like, bombing him, like, parents. And we said, no, no. 
he was out one morning. We got into his room and we rearranged. We put up shelves. It ordered everything. We made that room spick and span. He walked in and we said, and we met him there and we said, Tase, how do you like this gift? And he said, you inspire me to new levels. And, and he's kept it from that time. If you go and visit his house now, he's built an engineering cabin thing where he makes knives. Everything is immaculate. I think that's a wonderful way to respond to an offense. Two people walking in and telling you your room's a pigsty, stay away, we're going to fix it for you and show you how. And, and he just receives it as a gift and makes it the new normal in his life. Isn't that amazing? Eh? Give this man a hand. Eh? <laughs> anyway, we're going to have some fun as we worship the Lord tonight. Have you guys met Christian? I don't know if you all know Chris. Just stand for a moment, Christian. Christian is in our, in our digs as well. He's joined us here, and he's in the digs now. I want you to go and have coffee with him if you want to. Eh? Go for it, guys. Nice to have you with us, eh? along with Ellie.